The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Most parents expect to see and are comfortable with their children expressing a wide range of feelings. One feeling that parents worry more about is when they observe sadness in their child. Given that little ones often can't articulate what or why they're feeling sad and don't want to speak or answer in response to questions like, Honey, are you okay? Did something happen? Many parents, even as they are giving a reassuring hug or wondering, Is this normal? Here to answer that question and much more is a return guest. To Psych Up Live, Dr. Deborah Serrani, psychologist and acclaimed award-winning author of Living with Depression, Depression and Your Child, a, Get, a Guide for Parents and Caregivers, and Depression in Later Life, an Essential Guide. Dr. Serrani was even on Psych Up Live discussing a novel, a mystery novel that she wrote. But today, Dr. Serrani adds to her award-winning resources a new children's book entitled Sometimes when I'm sad. It's a real gift for children and parents. Dr. Serrani will be reading from the book and discussing what parents need to know and what they can do when children are sad. Dr. Serrani is a go-to expert on psychological issues. Her interviews can be found everywhere on CNN, Newsday, The New York Times, The Chicago Tribune, Scientific American Mind, as well as on affiliate radio programs of CBS and NPR. Dr. Serrani writes for Psychology Today and Esperanza Magazine, and she's an adjunct professor here in New York at Adelphi University. Dr. Deb Serrani, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thanks so much, Suzanne. I love being here with you. Thanks so much. So, Deb, what made you write this children's book, Sometimes When I'm Sad? Well, I had been thinking that I covered the life cycle of depression in teens, young adults, older adults in the geriatric population, and I thought, gee, you know, I really didn't cover early, ch- ch- early, early childhood, even though I wrote about depression in children. I thought, I wonder if I could create a, a picture book that could maybe talk about sadness and when parents should worry when sadness persists. So that's how this idea uh, started to, um, to be born. Mm. Now, one of the things um, that we know about sadness, and it's even in the little movie Inside Out, it's one of the characters, is that it's one of the primary or core emotions, and it can be observed pretty early in little ones and babies. What drives sadness in a, in a preschooler, in a toddler? Well, it's interesting. Um, sadness, uh, the scientists have just allocated the sadness circuitry. So we know that there are a lot of 
physiological reasons, brain functioning and neurochemistry that operates sadness. It's generally a reaction to a loss or a disappointment. Um, and it, can, it, it used to be that we didn't think babies could feel sadness. Um, but um, we know that babies can experience disappointment and sadness at, even after the first few days of life. So it's generally a reaction to some type of disappointment, um, and it can present in very many different ways at different ages for children. Maybe we could just talk about that a little bit. So for um, a toddler, it might show how, and for a preschooler, how would, what would we likely see? Well, you know, the terrible twos are called the terrible twos for a reason, and sometimes okay. they, they extend to the terrible threes and the terrible fours. But a lot of times, since children don't have the language ability or even the, the cognitive awareness to describe the textures of what they're experiencing, we often see irritability play a big role in toddlers and preschoolers. Um, as children get a little bit older, Sometimes we see physical aches and pains, things that might not normally be associated with a sad feeling, looking glum or, or downtrodden or um, a loose limb kind of physical gravity pulling a child down. For the most part, children are often angry. They can hide. They can, they can be physical. Um, they can want to break things. It's a rather different way than how adults might feel sad. Um, so it's, it's a very different approach to, to looking at um, how children can experience sadness. Now, Deb, in all our years of knowing each other, when we've both been clinicians for so many years, I've never had so many parents and grandparents say to me, I think my little one is sad or I think my grandchild is sad, and they're saying it against a landscape of no more playgroups, we're not on the playground with other mm. children, we're living through a pandemic, we have an economic crisis, we have racial injustice and protests. We have many children suddenly without the connections and the playmates and even the routine of where their cubby is and where their little backpack is. Mm. Do, do you think that this has played a role in, I'm sure mine is a small sample, but what people are seeing, because people tend not to be, you know, if a child is very acting out and angry, they're concerned. But sadness seems to catch parents' and grandparents' attention in a different kind of way. Do you think it's related to what we're dealing with globally and as a culture? Um, just recently, the Journal of American um, Medical Association did a study um, about the confinement from COVID and the social isolation from COVID, and they discovered that about 23% of children were having more sadness and depressive symptoms, more so than the average kind of experience. Um, and I know for myself as well, and even Harold Koplowitz in charge of the Child Mind Institute in New York City, he keeps saying he's getting many calls from parents and grandparents talking about what can I do for my child who's very worried and very sad. You're right. I think we expect children to be short-tempered, irritable, difficult, <laughs> tantrums, and, you know, we, we expect that. But when we see a sullen, withdrawn 
or real behavioral changes like kids who normally wouldn't be acting out or wouldn't be oppositional or wouldn't be breaking their toys or throwing their toys. It can be alarming for parents uh, because it is such a a different Mm -hmm. experience to see a child who's sad than a child who's mad. Now, we are going to go through your your beautiful book, and, and I think our listeners will understand the book embodies an approach of response, and we'll talk about interactive bibliotherapy. But one thing parents and grandparents have asked me that I'll ask you is, just as we've made the connection between COVID lockdowns and restrictions and loss and sadness, should a parent make that connection? That is, they don't, they're not sure what they should say. Should they say, do you miss your playmates? Do you wish you had school? Some children are not responding to that. Some parents are afraid to say that. What do you think, Deb? I, I always think the more that we can name experiences for children, the more we increase their empathy, compassion, and self-awareness. So I do think it's, it's a great thing to be able to look at a child, whether you're a parent or grandparent or caregiver, and say, it must be so sad that you're not with your playmates. We don't necessarily have to ask a question, do you miss your friends today or do you wish you were at school? Because sometimes children, they're, they're really great about you know, not wanting to maybe hurt whoever is with them. So if I say, mm. yes, I miss school, does that mean Grandpa thinks I don't love being with him? So mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. they don't answer. But we can always frame questions or themes by just kind of mirroring or reflecting. In, uh, I know you. it's been so long since you've seen Miss Sally for school. I'm wondering, I bet you miss her. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not quite a question, but it's not quite a statement. And you never know where you're going to be led when, it, when you ask child things, especially when I do play therapy. I, you know, it's so non-directional. You never know where things are going to go. And um, I always tell caregivers, just take the lead of the child. You'll see where talking about a particular subject or, you know, how do you feel that you haven't been able to play outside too much or go to the park too much. You could see where it leads. And children talk about what they want to talk about. And if they don't want to talk about it, it doesn't mean it hasn't been heard. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that can come just from these short exchanges, even if the child is not participating or very verbal. It's about helping children find and understand their experience. And just as you're saying, it may not be verbal, but maybe then they want to draw a picture of that playground or or draw a picture and send it to Miss Sally. But it opens up options for responding to sadness or loss. Right, right. And it, you know, doesn't, like you said, it doesn't always need to be spoken about. There are other creative ways that children can express their sadness. Now, one thing that I've been thinking about is the whole issue of crying um, and the cultural, for some cultures, don't cry, don't be a crybaby. Um, mm. And I guess I wanted to ask you to speak a little bit about uh, the benefits of crying and how normal and, and important it is in terms of regulation. Well, it's an interesting thing. Um, when we were, when I had written the book, I had actually written the book um, with a little girl in mind, and the publisher and the editor 
very wisely said they thought it would be better if the character was a boy to give greater permission for boys to cry. Mm-hmm. And I had just never thought of it because I had a different story in my mind, but there are very different uh, levels of acceptance about crying and culture. Um, what we know about crying is that um, the tears involved have a certain neurochemistry unlike happy tears. And um, it is it's a neurochemical uh, release for a child uh, as well as for an adult. And, and crying can be a way to get out a feeling. It can be a way to express the feeling. It could also be a limit for understanding the feeling. Sometimes once we've cried and we've had a good cry, we tend to feel a little bit lighter. So crying does have a lot of benefits, but I do agree with you. It's, it's deemed weak or um, not masculine or uh, unacceptable, no tears. I, 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 I can understand how, how it's easier for girls to cry than it is for boys to cry, particularly when I, when I see kids on the playground, you know, right. walk it off, be a, be a man. <laughs> Yeah, they're hiding. They're hiding and crying. And yeah, you know, even with teens, that when you really read how it releases, as you say, the oxytocin and endorphins, it's actually regulating and a way to promote a certain amount of self well-being. It's almost like a built-in little reset if we let people have that option. Uh, we, we're not. Right, six- go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say. We're not going to use it to set up a manipulative use of crying, but natural no. tears seem to be an appropriate thing. And your little boy in the, in the story certainly does cry. Um, so let's see with our time. Um, well, let me ask you another question, and we'll lead the, the next section off in reading the book. And that okay. is, Deb, what, in terms of parents worrying we had a little talk even before we started the show today. Um, the average child doesn't end up with pediatric depression, although you're going to, you give a very, very good formula when you say, and I think people will understand it when they hear you read the book. If, in, if you read the book, if in fact um, you follow some of the guidelines, the wonderful guidelines, and there's never a shift from the sadness that's something to worry about. But in general, one of the messages of this book is sadness doesn't equate to pediatric depression, but sadness is not something that should be ignored. Can you speak to that, Deb? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we talk about any mental disorder, time and chronicity, meaning how long the symptoms are presenting, are always a diagnostic piece. So it's a normal experience for children to be happy, to be sad, to be angry. What we want to look for is the duration of it. So sadness in and of itself is a very meaningful experience. Um, it can teach, it can reach, it can, it can cleanse, it can do a lot of meaningful things. Um, when it's not addressed or when it's overlooked or if it's in a duration that is locked in a way that it becomes chronic, it could lead to a, a depression in a pediatric mood disorder. 
So, um, yes, not every child who's sad is going to be depressed, but chances are children who are depressed have had some chronic sadness. I see. Okay. Is, is it more common in any particular age group of this young crowd that we're speaking about? The, the percentages are sort of near each other, 4 and 5%. Uh, they say 1% of babies have depression. So the percentage is very, very low. Uh, and, and when we think about, again, the human range of, of emotional experience, it's, it's, there are some children who may be a little bit more sensitive uh, to certain things. It's, a, it's about parents and caregivers just being mindful about it, just being aware about it and asking, you know, is, is my child, is my grandchild bouncing back or how can I see how my, how my child is feeling now? It does, it does seem to be a little bit lighter or better or it isn't. I'm a little concerned. What do I do next? Mm-hmm. Now, I was just thinking the other time that we see children crying is when they're frightened. Mm-hmm. Now, that has a different feel to it. Yes, um, I, I, like, I like saying this phrase, like, just like paper covers rock, sadness can be covered by anger, opposition, irritability, fearfulness, worry. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough job being a parent and a, and a grandparent or even a caregiver to a little one. It requires us to, to not always take things on face value and to check in with our children a little bit more and let our instincts kind of bubble to the surface. Are we worried about this? Is this something else going on? Let me, let me check in with my little one and see if I can gauge a little bit more about what's happening with him or her. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, uh, Dr. Sarani is going to read Sometimes When I'm Sad. I want to tell you that this this is, book is beautifully illustrated by Kyra Teese. Is that how we say her name? That's Beth? how I've been saying it. <laughs> okay. And on the cover, and um, if you go on Amazon, you'll see it, we have a little boy. Is it your description that she followed in the um, illustrations? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it really was a lovely experience to write a, a, a children's book because whatever I described, she wrote. It's everything should be so so easy <laughs> in life. Right, right. Well, on the cover is a little boy who is lying down on a mound of grass, looking up at the sky, and the top words are sometimes when, and underneath him, I'm sad. So stay with us. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Deborah Serrani, a return guest to Psych Up Live. And we're discussing her new book for children and parents, Sometimes I'm Sad. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. 
There are many innocent people who were found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Serrani. She's a psychologist and acclaimed author and an expert in depression. And this is her very precious new book. It's a children's book entitled Sometimes When I'm Sad. And we're going to start this segment by asking Dr. Sereni to actually read this book. So you'll know just what it is that she's offering you and and your little ones. Go ahead, Deb. Okay. Sometimes when I'm sad, I cry. Sometimes I hide. Sometimes I even throw my toys. Sometimes when I'm sad, nothing helps me feel happy. Not even presents or ice cream or a basket full of bunnies. Sometimes when I'm sad, I want to sleep all day or just sit on the couch doing nothing at all. One day, I met a counselor. She helps children learn about feelings. She said, sometimes sadness can get so big that it takes up all the space where happiness should be. So I learned how to make my sad feelings smaller. She told me, it's okay to cry. It's okay to hide but not for a long time. She said, if the sadness won't go away, I can talk about it with a grown-up who loves me, with my friends, or with her. I learned that I can draw the sadness I feel with crayons. Instead of throwing my toys, I can throw a ball really hard. I can run and jump outside. I can squish and squash clay. Holding something soft or warm can help me feel better. So can listening to nice sounds like rain falling, birds singing, or music I love. 
or sniffing a good smell like flowers, fruit, or fresh air, or tasting healthy food. Even spending time with nature can make sadness go away. So I tried a lot of these things, and she was right. Now when I get sad, I still cry sometimes, and I still hide sometimes, but only for a little while, because now I know ways to feel better. The end. It's a beautiful book, Debbie. It really is. And when was I'll tell my listeners when I read it over again last night, I, I thought now the little boy is using the word sometimes. The title of this is Sometimes I'm Sad. And maybe that's one of the messages. We're talking about occasional, not all the time. And maybe right. it's an endeavor is just as important for the little one to know that it's something that happens sometimes, but not all the time. And as well as it, it's important for the parent or grandparent or caregiver to know, it's sometimes. It's not all the time. The, and, it's, uh, and, it, and it's sometimes they hide. Sometimes they cry. Right. Sometimes it's right. not, sadness is not just a static experience of one thought or behavior. Right. Just like every other feeling. Sometimes happy, right. sometimes frightened, sometimes sad. The, the way you have him actually, it, when you read the book and see the pictures, folks, you'll see the little one listlessly on the couch, hiding. But when it starts to flip, all of a sudden, it's a stuffed animal that's hiding. And another stuffed animal is looking in. He's trying out the, the crayons. So you see the shift from the little boy who can't quite muster up the strength to kind of feel okay or do anything okay to start to slowly come back. No magic, but a sense that he understands that he can do some things is a really important message in it, Deb. Right. Um, the publisher that I'm working with, Free Spirit Publishing, um, it, they've been around a very, very long time, and one of their goals is to create what they call a sense of agency for children. So mm-hmm. the books that they want to publish, it's not just a, a story they want to tell. They want to empower children as well as caregivers and parents. But what I remember the editor saying, Debbie, what can this child take away from the story? And, you know, my answer was, well, all of these other ways to, to work through sadness and, and help yourself move through sadness. Hmm. Now, Deb, you said at the break, every single page was researched. Can you tell us more about that? Well, um, I guess because I'm, I'm an insecure author, I always like to have research kind of bolstering what I'm writing about. When I was writing this manuscript and I came up with the prose for it um, and I was looking for a publisher, uh, after every sentence I, I said, you know, well, you know, sometimes children cry, sometimes children hide. I would list the studies that showed that sadness and young children hide or cry or break things. 
because I wanted the publisher to, to understand the importance of each of these sentences being based in research. It was rooted in research. And all of the other um, interventions, running, you know, squishing clay, um, learning how to use expressive crayons and art, those are all research-based as well. So I kind of considered this my most heavily researched book because every mm-hmm. line in it is bolstered by um, studies on pediatric sadness and depression. Okay, and and we're going to get to the following. The actual story is a parent's guide, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that. But before that, I'm going to ask the question that may be in the head of some of our parents out there: What if when I say or introduce the book to my little one who's hiding? Um, he says, I don't want to read that stupid book. <laughs> where, where are we going from there, Deb? Well, why don't we sit and see, and you can decide after if this is still a silly story, or if, I don't know, there's something you can learn or I can learn from it. Um, sometimes, you know, kids don't want to read those books, um, so you give it a whirl, and if it doesn't fly or land, that's okay. Then I often leave the books out, particularly when I'm doing structured play therapy, which is where the therapist chooses the types of games and toys little ones are to play with. I'll choose a series of particular theme books, and I just leave them out if the child doesn't want to read that. Eventually, they kind of look at it and some through it, and sometimes mm-hmm. we read it. So that may occur. <laughs> Sometimes, like, yeah, uh, if it's more than one child and one of the children is like, this is stupid, I don't want to read this, and he goes to sit to face the wall, but let's make it the good little girl is going to sit with you and read it. <laughs> Sometimes if something happens or a question, he answers from the corner of the room. Because, oh, God, that's hello, hilarious. That's right? hilarious. Although so he they're, won't- they're participating, but in their own way. And yes. isn't it interesting, you know, maybe he he just is not ready or doesn't want to um, explore these kinds of feelings. It, it may just feel not ready for him, and that's okay, too. That doesn't mean that the book can't be used for children that are older. Um, it, yeah, I, think I, the I, other thing, I think the other thing is children like adults sometimes... It isn't what someone wants to do at the moment, although you come running in with the book as the answer, um, and you just keep hanging in and try it at different times or mm-hmm. read it to yourself, <laughs> or, right. or as what, what Debbie's saying. Now, let's just ask at this point, you talk a little bit about, um, and we've spoken about bibliotherapy, and you sent me some material. Maybe you could explain to our listeners how would they be thinking about, how would they read this if they were thinking about it being interactive, Deb? Is that something that would be a good idea with this? Well, it's funny. I always think that, you know, newly termed, uh, newly named terms are really old things that we've done before. Um, bibliotherapy is the art of choosing books to help heal, whether it's for yourself or another adult or children. And it's, it's been hundreds and hundreds of years uh, in use. Um, but a new term is out now because, you know, reading is always a very wonderfully interactive experience. 
uh, and it's called interactive bibliotherapy, where you read a book with your child and you talk about it, which we've all done. So, right. um, so this new term, quote unquote, is really just telling us what we've done for for decades, which is to sit with our children, to read the story. Sometimes you don't read the story totally all the way through. Sometimes you say, sometimes when I'm sad, I, I cry. Oh, look at that little boy. Does he look sad in that picture? You don't have to necessarily read the prose for the sake of it being strictly read. It's a benchmark. The book becomes a platform to engage with your child, to talk with your child, to see where it goes. Some children like stories to be read from beginning to end. Don't stray yes. from the writing. You can't, right. Don't turn right. the page that fast. You have to turn it this fast. Right. And then there are other children who, you know, that this becomes just uh, a door that they walk through, and it, and it allows for exploration about stories and, and memories or experiences. So that's what reading really is. Just because it has a fancy term on it makes it sound awfully nice. But that's what the beauty is when parents, caregivers, grandparents, when, when children sit in your lap uh, or they're on the floor on their bellies or in bed just before sleeping and you get to read these stories that reach and teach, it's such a powerful experience. Um, and it's a wonderful way to just spark some type of dialogue with your, lo- with your little ones. And just what we were saying before when I asked you, would you connect the no schoolyard, no playmates, the, the, the school closed downs with sadness, I think one of the things the book does is give both parents and the child the words. So if you had a little one who really did feel sad but wouldn't have said, you know, I feel sad today, but instead is hiding, now... He sees the little boy describing himself as sad, and he's mm-hmm. hiding. And then right. he hides for a little less time. So it really gives a, a kind of mutual vocabulary for parent and child. Many books do that. I mean, that is the beauty of children's books. But they really give you a language that you share together that you can even reference back to. Remember the boy in the book? Right. So it becomes a shared space for mm-hmm. dealing with emotions and empowering both the child and the parent. And it also, in, in a way, destigmatizes certain types of uh, emotional states, particularly when we start looking at possible mental health issues. It, it lets children and even adults know that this is not something that, you know, is rare. This is something that children feel. Children feel sad. And it's okay to talk about your sad feelings. And it, and it allows us, if we can talk about our sadness, we can talk about something more if something serious is happening because we've already destigmatized the notion of sadness or, or um, a, a certain type of um, emotional state that is not happy. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you mentioned before that I just want to underscore before we start talking about the actual um, suggestions and guides for reducing sadness is the recognition that this sadness shows very differently across the age and across the particular child. So the kid who's saying when um, someone brings home a new puzzle or new crayons, that's stupid, I hate that, 
Mm-hmm. You didn't get the right markers. You got the crayons. We have the crayons. I wanted the markers. That if we get caught into that in a literal way, we mm-hmm. might miss. This is really a kid who misses his friends from school. This is a kid who wants to be at his desk. This is a kid, you know, so that it's it's worth being a little bit of a detective and not taking everything so literal with this young preschool right. group. Right, like, oh, you're so sad I, I didn't hear you, or you're so disappointed I didn't get the right things. You never know where that sentence is going to land for this little boy. Yeah, I am, or doesn't matter anyway. And, you know, it, this really sounds like a little one who's, who's wounded and hurt in some way. What what I've seen that is so sweet is sometimes if you have a group of children, and this happened when we do Camp Galaxy, the military camp, you will have one little child who, not that stupid, I'm not doing that, and another <laughs> little child will go, oh, but look, she brought glitter. We can put the <laughs> glitter. So they, that's the power of a group, even a child's group, that they really and move glitter. it along. Right? And the they power move of it glitter. Along. They literally <laughs> yes. move it along with the glitter. It's true. Um, yes, yes. We're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, in the back of uh, Debbie's book is really a gold mine of possibilities that you can use when a child is sad. We're going to come back and talk about all of those. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Deborah Serrani, psychologist, acclaimed author of a number of award-winning books on depression, and her new book is Precious. It's beautifully illustrated, Sometimes When I'm Sad. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Join five-time world and international boxing champion, mental health advocate, writer, and speaker, Mia St. John, for In the Ring with Mia. After losing her ex-husband and son to mental illness, Mia has set out to empower those who deal with mental illness, homelessness, poverty, and addiction. Tune in and join Mia in the ring. And together, you'll find the help and motivation that you need. Listen live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You 
are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Hi, folks. Welcome back. Um, We're talking with Deborah Serrani. And I just asked Deb, uh, she's going to speak to you now about ways to reduce sadness in children. And she's going to draw upon the five senses. I'm going to leave it to you, Deb, to mention how this is an evidence-based approach. But when I read about the use of the five senses, it made me think, Perhaps sadness really is very related to our neurophysiological state and or loss. Well, the things that drive sadness, of course, impact our neurophysiological state. So, Deb, I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that and then give us some examples across the spectrum of our senses that you would try with a little one. Sure. Uh, I had spoken earlier that... uh uh, researchers have identified what they're calling the sadness circuitry in the in the body, and what a lot of that evidence-based research tells us is that places like the cingulate cortex, the thalamus, the vagal nerve, even our heart rate—it's all about depletion. There's less activity in those circuitries, and as a result, we really are depleted if we're somebody who struggles with sadness chronic or depression chronic. So when I was thinking about, you know, what are some easy ways to teach others how to holistically approach sadness, it just made sense to me to think about the five senses. So um, in the book, and this is true of the publisher itself, they have these parent-teacher guides in the back of every picture book. And um, I thought that I would speak about different ways through sight, smell, touch, hearing, and taste. I hope I hit all five. Um, And uh, easy ways to kind of shift a child's neurochemistry to see if that can enhance mood, lift sadness, and and, um, create greater well-being. So if we were to start with sight, one of the things that happens to all of us, particularly now in this kind of self-quarantine COVID, is we're in the same environment day in and day out. And we can habituate, which means we can become very accustomed to our setting. So if a child is very sad uh, or is experiencing those moments of sadness, one of the easiest things we can do is to create more light open the blinds, open the curtains, get your child outside, sit in a pool of sunlight. Sunlight creates um, melatonin for us and vitamin D, which are mood boosters. Um, It's also helpful. Kids love color. Anytime you can bring color into their world with paints, crayons, markers. Uh, I don't live too far from a park and... Uh, if you can get your child outside into nature to see nature up close, um, bring a magnifying glass. Um, they have these really strange um, bug catchers, which uh, I, I don't want to ever be near. 
um, but you can put rocks in it and bugs in it um, <laughs> and flowers in it, and you can see not only the colors but the textures. Those are wonderful ways to enhance sight, and sight is something I think we really do you know, kind of take for granted. Um, then we can move to the sense of smell. Um, smell is our most primitive sense. It can elicit enormous emotional reactions because the sense of smell moves through our limbic system. Um, so any types of citrus, peppermint, whether it's potpourri or uh, essential oils, um, they can bring a brightness. They can enhance a mood lift. Um, sometimes there are these organic soaps that you can buy and mm-hmm. even make that include peppermint and cinnamon and the kids can get involved in it and then use it when they take a bath or a shower. Um, I also love the idea of um, teaching them how to do tummy breathing where you lie on your tummy or you put your hand on your tummy and teach them how to do deep breathing. Fresh air is another thing. Um, you know, being in quarantine with COVID, you know, maybe you're in recycled air or maybe you don't have your windows open as much. Um, but the more fresh air you can bring, the more negative ions you'll bring from the outside. Positive ions are uh, connected to our televisions, our computer screens, and they tend to bring irritability. That's why some people can't sleep at night because they've been on their devices all mm, day long. Right. So, you know, filling, filling the world with fresh flowers or different scents, uh, or if you're cooking with your child, have them smell the garlic before it goes in. Have them smell the cardamom before you make your tea. You can invite so many textural experiences and start to infuse your child with what has been so depleted from the sadness. Mm-hmm. Should I go on? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes? Okay. Yeah. Um, when we talk about the sense of taste, um, you know, it is sometimes hard for some children to experience new foods and things like that, but you don't necessarily have to invite new foods, but you can take some loved favorites and teach them how to savor it. Um, hear the crunch of the popcorn, or as they cut, as you cut the apple for them, um, listen, listen to the crisp cut of it, um, and then smell the air as, you know, that scent of a fresh cut apple comes in. We, we kind of taste and smell at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, things that are cold, how they feel on a hot day, when you taste something hot, how does that feel? Um, you know, it's, it's, Taste is something that I, I also think we don't savor enough of, and there's a fine balance between being too indulgent and, you know, just eating for the sake of eating. Right. Um, and, of course, you want to be careful with um, food and make sure that it's healthy food. Um, but even to, even to ask a child to first eat a blueberry and feel slowly and then ask, a che- ask them to eat a Cheerio slowly, mm-hmm. you know, mindful eating, picks up that not only the texture but the taste that you're talking about they're very they're right there the things that you can use 
And, you know, certain healthy foods, and again, this is all research-based. All of these holistic approaches for the, sen- for the senses are research-based. So when you reach for healthy foods and you're not using very refined sugars, um, you're kind of creating more uh, serotonin and dopamine, which are feel-good hormones, from eating healthy foods. So that improves mood, too. And when you watch the sugar and, the co- and um, you add complex carbohydrates, you allow for metabolism that doesn't have these roller coaster highs and lows that sometimes mm. kids and adults can get from too much sugar. Deb, let's Go give ahead. an example of listening and hearing because we want to ask the question about when we seek professional help. Well, um, when, when you're listening to your child, sometimes sadness can present in a way where you can hear a child's voice is maybe a little, has a little less energy or maybe a quiver in it. Um, and, you know, when, when you start to become concerned about your child, if some of these approaches, these holistic measures, the things that you're looking at, the activities that you're doing are not creating a, a, a lowering of the sadness and it's, two weeks coming now to maybe a third week that you're, you're seeing this in your child, that would be a time to consider talking to um, either a general practitioner, a pediatrician, or a mental health specialist because sadness should come and go. It could be there for a few days and then go away. But if it's there for two weeks or more, that's the critical diagnostic marker for could we be seeing something a little bit more involved like a pediatric depressive disorder. Hmm. Now, in the book, and I asked you about this, you do have the little boy meet a counselor. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, the, the book was written for, to, sh- to talk about sadness but then to also talk about what happens if sadness doesn't go away. So the arc of the book was sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I can try these things, sometimes I need a little bit more help. And that was the approach for this particular book. It's the first Mm -hmm. in a series. And the next book, it doesn't have a counselor in it. It's, it's just sometimes when I'm mad and, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how to address angry feelings without, needing to go to a counselor. One of the things I... Go ahead, Deb. No, go ahead. One of the things I mentioned to Debbie is that, in a way, part of the gift of this is, whether it's this book, and this book very much addresses it, sadness, and it goes through it, and we see the child move from sad to, well, sometimes I'm not sad, and sometimes I am. Um, If a child really sort of got the book and you were using some of these sensory interventions, and as Deb says, nothing shifted, then it's time. Then it's time to say, well, maybe there's something we're missing here. And Mm -hmm. um, it's in the, it's in the great benefit. It's a great benefit for your, to your child to respond to the sadness, because if you can respond to the sadness, correct me, Deb, um, and show the child that there's ways that he can lift it or she can lift it, you may have really stopped a cycle that becomes more like pediatric depression, which is not... Go ahead. You'd be interrupting the trajectory if your child may have some type of genetic predisposition for 
sadness. Yes, the earlier we get in for any mental health issue, we know that, you know, these things have a way of kind of solidifying and becoming um, a very complex way for a child to behave. So the earlier we can get in to teach interventions, the more we can help a child find a more meaningful life. So we can definitely diminish the risk of a depressive disorder by doing so. So in this culture that we're living in that has taken so much from so many people, it's not going to be surprising if your little ones are sad, mad, or any related feeling. The main thing is to respond and help them learn how to respond. And I think that's part of the gift of this book, Debbie, and your presence on our show today. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Yeah, I want to thank you for coming on. Now, Deb, how can folks find your other books are award-winning? How can people find you and find all of the other books? The best way, I would say, is to go to my website, which is www.drdebrasarani.com, and they'll list my books, my social media, and everything else. So that would be the best way, I think. And this book is on Amazon, Right, Amazon, Deb? it's in bookstores, Barnes and Noble, um, and at Free Spirit Publishing, at the okay. press, at the publisher too. Okay, um, Dr. Deborah li- Serrani, and, li- and libraries, and libraries. <laughs> okay, Dr. <laughs> Deborah Serrani, thanks for coming back, and I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again. But thanks for a beautiful book and a gift to parents and children. Thanks so much, Sue. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. Tonight by 6 p.m. Eastern, this will be a podcast on my host site, on my website, on your iPhone, on the app for um, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, and I heart. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.